Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey folks, welcome to the Amazing Avenue Newswire. This is an emergency podcast because the Mets have re-signed righty reliever Adam Adovino to a two-year, $14.5 million contract. Wait, someone is passing me a paper across the desk. Okay, no, the Mets have signed Carlos Correa to a 12-year, $315 million deal. Um, we have on the show with us Allison McCaig, Maggie Wigan, Vastramilitis. Let me just say, what the fuck? We all woke, <laughs> we, we all woke up to this. And it is bonkers. Everyone um, has their own origin story of how they found out that the men signed <laughs> Carlos Correa. It's true. They're we all will, tired. This we will remember kind of where bonkers. we were. Yes. In bed, so, mostly. Yes, yes, mostly in bed. Um, uh, I don't want to say for how many of us this is the best thing to happen in bed for a while because I don't want to throw shade on anybody else. But this is a, <laughs> a lovely way to wake up this morning. Let's it's put it the that best way. way I've woken up in a while. Yes. Yes, for sure. Um. Well, let's talk about what we know so far. Okay, so we know that Correa was in agreement for a 13-year, $350 million deal with the Giants, that something was triggered during the medical process that forced the Giants to postpone the announcement and the press conference for Correa. And then as soon as we knew that, the Mets had signed him to a 12-year, $315 million deal. So we don't know the severity of the medicals. We don't know a lot about this at all, really. But Maggie, I want to start with you. Just just give me give me like a read on your feelings right now. I mean, it's just super exciting. And it's a reminder that like that 
there's just different rules now as a Mets fan, like that it's just a totally different way of thinking about baseball. Um, and you've got, you know, the team prints money, uh, team owner prints money. And like, they're actually spending it because they care about winning and that's amazing. And it also lets them, um, let some hoard prospects for a little while. We've spent a lot of time over the off season talking about like how they could fill might end up filling gaps with trades. And I don't see them doing any significant trades at this point. Um, you just love to see it. Vass, how about you? Uh, I don't even know where to begin, but I was thinking this morning about how every offseason has kind of had a come to Jesus moment where I'm always doubting Steve Cohen a little bit. And this is probably the moment where I'm going to stop doing it because a couple <laughs> offseason to go, there was Francisco Lindor and that was like a dream signing. And then the next offseason, it was Max Scherzer. And even this offseason, Justin Verlander didn't really fit because once Max Scherzer happened, it felt like Justin Verlander made a lot of sense. And this always felt like a dream. I've been banging the table for Carlos Correa for for weeks, but always in the back of my mind, like that's the far reaches of what's actually possible for this team. And I think after three off seasons of them doing what feels like is impossible, I should probably just stop doubting it because- No, don't stop. We need it. It worked. I know it might. You know what? There's no way they're going to get Sohei Otani next off season. That's just ridiculous at this point. Come on. But uh, I- just dreaming of this left side of the infield for the next decade is just an incredible feeling as a Met fan that we deserve after years of Wilpon nonsense. Yes. Allison, how are you feeling? Uh, it feels, it feels like a dream. Um, like, like Vaz was saying, I have to like, I have to like train myself out of the Wilpon Stockholm syndrome that has had a grip on our collective psyche for so many years. And we're, we're still doing it. Like, it's it's a forever process almost like I, I remember yesterday I was tweeting about I was saying like, oh, you know, I really, really would love Trey Mancini on the Mets. <laughs> Still true. But I'm just like and I, I quote tweeted myself and I was like, damn, I got a dream bigger than this. Like I <laughs> like I'm like, you know, sitting back after this fantastic offseason the Mets have had being like, all right, they just need like maybe one more reliever and a couple of thing on things on the margins like. We don't have to think that way anymore about anything. It's just nuts. <laughs> so it's amazing to me the reaction that I have seen from this from people in my life. Like I, you know, Twitter is is real adjacent, but it's not really real, right? So the texts that I got, the messages in various Discord servers that I have gotten this morning from fans of all different franchises. I have not heard anybody except for my brothers-in-law, if you're listening, love you guys, um, bitch and moan about the money or the years. Because I think there's finally an understanding throughout baseball that money and years kind of don't matter. And I know that sounds crazy because that is <laughs> that is how all free agency works. But when you have enough money to to not let the mistakes handicap you, it really doesn't matter anymore. Like if if Correa winds up playing for five years and then his lower back explodes, that will not impede a single thing the Mets are going to do years six through twelve. On the this. best um, framing I heard uh, even before this about like the Mets money situation is that Steve Cohen spent two and a half billion dollars on this team, and his net worth is ne- is now like significantly more than it was before he paid that money. Yep. I mean, this is always, you know, it's just a smart business 
move it, it, besides how much better it makes the match on the field. It's just something that I would always scream about the Wolf too. It's like, you're, you're going to be cheap, but then it's going to reflect in the fans coming to the park and the, the Jersey sales, but then you put in that extra effort. It's, it's going to pay the Korea signing. All these signings are going to pay for themselves tenfold when fans are coming to the park and people are buying the jerseys and everyone's excited and you're winning and going to October. And it's just a better atmosphere for everyone. It leads to better, you know, better results for everyone. I mean, that, that, that's exactly right. You know, this is this is an investment in the future of the Mets. And that base is going to be on Times Square for a long time. Yes. Yes. And, you know, one of the things that I think is so important to talk about with this move is that the Wilpons were shit, absolute shit at focusing the Mets on the on the diversity of New York City. New York City has the most diverse population of almost any place on the planet. And the Mets have stars right now that the Puerto Rican community already were coming out for you. Add Correa to that. This should be the destination for Puerto Rican baseball fans in New York City. By adding Senga, this is the destination for Japanese baseball fans in New York City. The Mets can be the melting pot of New York for fandom, and they have been bad at that. I'm hoping that Cohen realizes the just intrinsic goodness of that from on every level. There is no downside to making the Mets the international team in, in New York City. The Mets are the Mets are now the Steinbrenner Yankees, except fun. Yes. Yes. Fun. It's so cool. Like the Mets are spending money just like the Steinbrenner Yankees, but they have actual last names on the back of their jerseys and they play (laughs) narco for Edwin Diaz and they have fun. And it's it's amazing to me that after so many years of putting up with lol Mets of like just being the punching bag and the butt of every joke, the Mets are now the organization that every free agent wants to play for. Yeah. And I love having, um, I I love having a leader like Buck Showalter in that clubhouse. Who's going to take all of these, all these egos, all of these, you know, big fish um, and just be able to, you know, relate to them and talk to them and they will all respect him because he's been doing this forever. And like, I just, I love what the whole, the whole vibe of the team, all the way they all fit together. Every piece of this is, is just a delight. It really is. Um, Now I, I I don't want to focus too much on players not named Correa but I do think that we have to talk about sort of where he fits into the Mets lineup and specifically where the guys that he is maybe pushing aside are going to go. So my thought with this is that to start the season, you're going to see Eduardo Escobar DHing a bunch if he's still on the Mets as of opening day. I think you're going to see Brett Beatty in the minors taking a lot of reps in left field, possibly. Um and I think that this maybe allows them to carry that third catcher because you don't need to worry about the bench bat with um, with Escobar possibly being that bench bat. What do you folks feel about that in terms of roster construction? I agree with uh, I agree with what you said, uh, basically everything you said, as far as I think Eduardo Escobar is going to be DHing alongside Daniel Vogelbach a lot. Um, and I think that Brett Beatty is almost certainly going to be in the minor leagues now, um, which is fine. And I hope that they do give him reps at left field so that if if he's not traded for Shohei Otani, he can um, be a, a part of the Mets future. Um, 
but I, I still am wary of the catcher situation. I mean, not that it, I think it matters from like the perspective of the Mets in 2023. I think they're going to be a very good baseball team, regardless of what they do at catcher. But I still find the Omar Narvaez move the most, uh, the, the weirdest one of all the things that they've done. Everything else has been very clearly like we have just gone out and bought the best free agent at this position. Um, but I, I think that Francisco Alvarez is either like not entirely healthy, like we talked about, like maybe his ankle is still messed up, in which case he starts in AAA, or I think he like he has to be the the Mets catcher, which he's probably not going to be. I I find the treatment of him in particular to be odd because even if you are saying okay, maybe we trade Francisco Alvarez for Shohei Otani also, um, and just go all out like his value is not going to be helped by him being a bench bat and DHing once a week, maybe. And like do doing pinch hitting. Like I just, I remain confused by the Mets catching situation. I think it's no question that James McCann is gone. However, the Mets can dump him off on someone, but like, then they still have this weird three headed situation at catcher. And I'm not sure how they deal with that roster crunch. I mean, I honestly, I think this opens the door for Alvarez to start in AAA, even if he is healthy. Um, and I I don't know how I feel about this exactly, but I think if there's concern that his catching is not ready yet, like you don't want to have, you don't want that to be exposed. And at the same time, it would be really hard for him to get the practice in on catching, again, if he's primarily DHing. So I don't... I can see how there's probably a pretty good long-term argument for giving him more time down there. Um, and in terms of like, well, now you have a week bad at catcher, like who cares? The right. Mets entire infield has like an average OPS of like 900 or something like that. No, it's not 900. It's like uh, the only, I believe every player except for Lindor had a WRC plus of over 140 last year. And Lindor and is Lindor like 137 or something. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, for me, Thomas just wrote the article for Amazing Avenue like a week ago about how the young, the two of their youngest players will be two of their most impactful or two of the most important. And I, I like the idea now that it doesn't have to be this way, that we're not going to have to rely on these young kids who can get some more seasoning and learn, you know, hone their craft a little more. So, you know, before the Mets added a big bat, we we're talking about, well, this is basically the same lineup, which is great. We're really relying on Francisco Alvarez to be the big bat that they're adding or Brett Beatty to really bring some home runs where there weren't last year. And now it doesn't have to come to that. And I think that's a great thing because it's good for their development. It's good for the team. I think it'll really benefit them in the long run to not have that added pressure. And they could just kind of go down to AAA if it comes to that and just improve and then come up when they're really truly ready to, take the league by storm. Yeah, I feel like at this point, I mean, the Narvaez move is still a little bit perplexing. I think we can all agree on that. But I will say that there is almost nothing about Steve Cohen that makes me think he gives a shit about that money. And I don't know if there's any part of him that's like, oh, you know what? If I had known this, no, it doesn't matter. It's it's chump change to him. And so money is fake. Right. It just exists in the ether. Yes. And so I, I think he's, you know, and, and we're talking about this like Steve Cohen is the GM. He is not, but he, you know, he has uh, the power to veto anything, I'm sure. And I'm sure if he calls up Billy Epler and says, I want this guy, that guy winds up as a Met, right? But I think that 
the catching situation is basically just protecting Alvarez long term. I know we all want to see Alvarez as a Met this year, but maybe the Mets really feel like his catching needs more time and they'd rather let him develop down in the minors than develop in front of the in front of the spotlight and that allows him to when he I mean I know he already made his major league debut, but when he comes up for good, it'll be for good. Whereas there's a there's a chance he could have started the year in the majors this year and wound up back in AAA. And that can be pretty disheartening to a young player. So I don't hate him starting the year in the minors with the lineup constructed as the way it is. It's not what we hoped for, but I don't think it's the worst possible outcome either. But Allison disagrees with that. A little bit, but not like, I mean, I'm not like. This I'm is so, the best problem. I'm so high on the on everything else that's happening. Like, this is kind of the least of their problems, but they do like they do have to set themselves up up for long-term success. And that does involve investing in player development. In addition to obviously like you want to sign every free agent. That's great. I love that. Keep doing that. Um, But you want to, you want to invest in player development. You want to develop your young talent. Uh, The Mets want to be good. If the Mets really want to be the Dodgers East, that's what they need to do. And I think that they've demonstrated that they are, turning corners in that regard and they are starting to um you know hire people on the player development side uh that indicates that they are serious about investing in that part of the team as well um so i would just like to see them be a more well-rounded franchise because you know we we talk about steinbrenner and the yankees but those late 90s yankees teams had a homegrown core as well so. but don't you think in a way that this that having alvarez start in triple a is ensuring the long-term success more Yes, although I the, the again Narvaez has a player option for 2024. So if he is bad this year, he almost certainly will take that player option and then what do you do? I suppose and then you, co- cut him. It's, cut you cut him. cut him. You cut him. Yeah. Um so it, I do find it weird that they gave him that player option, but I guess it's just because like that's what it would take to get him to come to the Mets and so they can just deal with that in 2024, but yeah. And we have to believe 1,000% that James McCann is gone, right? Oh, yeah. Even if they just cut him. Yes. Well, and that's where the, you know, it's easy to see the infinite money impact when you bring in Carlos Correa on a deal that will make him a Met until my child is 20 years old, just dealing with that (laughs) moment. Um, But the infinite money also is a big factor with the James McCann's of the world because you can sign a million of them. And if they don't stick, then who cares? You cut them like you. You can really end up building a good, solid bench by just, you know, picking up whoever seems likely to be good. And if they aren't, then you don't do what the Mets did in the past and just like ride them out there. James Loney style every freaking day. Um, you cut him. Bye. It's a, it's a, it is like literally a win-win. James McCann has his like life-changing money and the Mets have whoever they want. Yeah. Um, when we had done our last emergency podcast, one of the things we had spoken about was how we felt like the Mets needed a fourth outfielder. Do we feel that way at all anymore? <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, from like a not from a they need more thump in the lineup perspective, but they kind of do need someone who can stand at corner outfield in case someone gets hurt. Do they have Is, a fast um, guy? I feel like they need a fast guy. Brandon Nimmo's pretty fast. He doesn't steal bases. Starling Marte is pretty fast. Yeah. Francisco Lindor is pretty fast. Terrence Gore is still out there. So we could always bring Terrence Gore back. <laughs> I mean, bring like, back like literally, Gore. like that, like that kind of. Uh... Bring him home. I mean, like they could just like do the Travis Jankowski thing again, but I think that they want something a little bit better than that. Um, but they, again, they don't have to. They don't have now they don't have to like really go crazy with that if it's like a light hitting, more defensively oriented type of fourth outfielder. I think they still need that just from the perspective of like dudes who can play those positions. And center and is always, probably thin. Yeah. You always have to also account for injuries and stuff. And Marte and Nimmo have had their own injury issues. So you want to at least cover your bases there and have someone thousand point that could stand out there and also like actually you feel comfortable giving reps like they don't have to cover the offense that you'll be missing because your lineup is already so insane but you at least have to have people who you're comfortable putting out there for a long period of time if needed everyday mm-hmm. center fielder mark canna yeah right. yeah that that exactly. probably wouldn't be good from the uh that managing mark away from reality yeah managing mark canna's hip issues perspective which they did really well last year and they were able to do because they had they they had the benefit of all their guys being healthy last year, but we can't count on that again necessarily. So I think that they do still need a fourth outfielder. It just doesn't have to necessarily be one that can hit. No, I th- I, I think now it's just a defensive center fielder. And the depth factor is huge. I mean, really, like when you have these kinds of bats in the lineup every day, and then you, you know, Eduardo Escobar was a, was like had a rough start, but he was a perfectly cromulent third baseman at the end of the day. And now he's on the bench. Like that's, that's such a luxury to have of your potential everyday players on the bench and your potential bench players in the minors. Like that is just, that is, is a, is I'm forgetting the word. What's the, it's a nice thing to have. <laughs> like it's, a nice it's good. way to yeah, be able to like build a very resilient roster. That's a really good word for the roster is resilient. I think that there is almost nothing like, you know, obviously catastrophic injuries happen to every team. And I'm not saying the Mets can withstand all the injuries in the world, but the team is deep enough now that if a player goes down for a little while, it doesn't seem like it's the end of the world. And it's been a long time since I felt that way. You know, I last year was the first time I felt really confident in the Mets making the playoffs just based on the overall depth of the team. And now the team is significantly deeper than it was last season. Wow. Yeah, it, was, it was a nice luxury that we've never experienced. So in the past, like one or two guys get hurt and you're throwing out the drecks of like the minor leagues and, you know, quadruple A guys. And last, you know, last even going into next year, I felt like, Oh, if you like Lindor or Alonso go down, you know, it's still the lineup looks so much weaker. And now there's so much depth there that you don't have to worry. Like if one guy is not performing or one guy is, you know, misses a few weeks, you're, you're really covered yourself there and you have one of the strongest lineups in the National League. Yeah. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I feel like we're all still kind of in shock <laughs> over this. And it's going to take a while for us to maybe not be in shock over this. But any any final thoughts on this before we uh, close up for today? I just find it fun that Francisco Lindor and Carlos Correa are going to be in that left side of the infield for the next decade. Like, that rules. <laughs> oh, I, I, I did want to say one thing, which is that a bunch of folks have already been talking about uh, Correa's health and how serious the health concern is. And I think that that is a very valid thing to be asking at this moment. Uh, the rumors are that it was not something the doctors saw, but something the team saw. In which case, I don't even know how to react to that. If you're not trusting your doctors, I don't know why you're hiring doctors. Um, but if it is something that is, you know, relatively serious, I still think that with the DH in the National League and with Correa's bat, if he's only your third baseman for the next five years, that's not the end of the world. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I'm I'm not it, it might just be the serotonin hit from all of this right now, but I, I don't care at all about what's going on in the medicals. I'm just the possibilities for at least the short term. I like you said, I don't care about years. Even five, five and onward, the next few years are just going to be a, a lot of fun. So after that, we'll see. But right now, this is a dream come true. I mean, and I think being being conditioned by the Kumar Rocker situation as I was, <laughs> like, yes. I think that there's far more regret in, like, seeing a shadow on an x-ray and being like, oh, my God, and, like, backing out of a deal than there is in taking a chance and maybe it doesn't work out because, again, this is Steve Cohen. The money doesn't matter. Like, if Correa's medicals end up being bad, it's not going to preclude them from doing other things in the future the way it right. might for other teams. Um, Like, you know, maybe this, this is a different – put simply, this is a different calculus for the Giants than it is for the Mets at this point. Um, Like, the Giants see something – who knows what um, see something that gives them pause. And, you know, if you, if you hearken back to the Wilpon Mets and think about it from like the perspective that they would, if they see something, they worry that this could hamper their ability to, if they have this quote dead weight on their, on their payroll, they worry that this could hamper their ability to improve in other ways in the future. But Steve Cohen simply doesn't have to worry about that. This is, no, again, because it doesn't money doesn't matter to Steve Cohen, but we haven't even touched on the fact that Korea is only making twenty six million dollars, which for AAV purposes is absurdly cheap for a player of his caliber. Like you know, it's a twelve year deal, but that's just I, I can't imagine that hindering the Mets either way. But that's like such an amazing contract for the Mets. I can't even wrap my mind around that aspect of it. 
Yeah, I mean, that's only slightly more than they're paying Robinson Cano to not exist this year. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, like, think about how much that AAV is going to be, like, by like what people aren't talking about, and not just from the for the Correa contract, for these contracts in general, Lindor, Trey Turner, all of these deals. What people aren't talking about is like, yes, you look at the length of the deal and you're like, oh my goodness, but like 20 something million AAV in the year 20, oh my God, like what even is math? Like 10 <laughs> years from now, what is that? Who cares? Like that's going to be like really, really cheap into yep. in in that in that time's money like with the way inflation is going with the way that simply like even if inflation doesn't uh continue at this crazy pace that it is right now but like just with cost of living increases etc cetera, etc cetera, like 27 million aav is gonna mean nothing in like the the qo is gonna be more than that <laughs> that is very true 2031 is a fake year it's yeah like it's Look, if we're all still here in 2031, uh, good for us. Like, God uh, bless. Yeah, but, you know, it just seems like this is, <laughs> it really seems like this is not real. I, I know we can't keep saying that, it's, and it seems cliche to say that, but this does not feel like a Mets move. I no. can't wrap my head around this being a Mets move. I know. And, and- and I will I will say, like, shout out to Anthony DeComo being the only rep- major reporter that I could see that reported this that reported about the Mets payroll as a figure of Steve Cohen's net worth, which is how this should always be reported. Um, yes. Everyone else is just tweeting about the Mets like tax penalties and how much they're paying, which like it's fine. Like that is information that the fans like are interested to know. So fine. But. I think putting it in the framing and context of Steve Cohen's net worth is the correct move. And he did it like the like the current payroll, like the, the amount of contracts that the Mets have given out this offseason as a percentage of Steve Cohen's net worth, which doesn't even fully capture the picture, because what is Steve Cohen's net worth going to be over the course of those contracts? Right. Well, that's that's the whole thing, right? We don't even know. I mean, Dacoma was very wise and quick to point out that it was the reported net worth of Steve Cohen because we don't really know what his net worth is. It's not like uh, billionaires are putting this out there as much as possible. They don't want people to necessarily know exactly how much they are worth. Um, But even if it, again, imagine for any of us if we were able to buy the Mets. This is how I would want to spend if I could afford it. He's he's operating like a fan for, you know, we after having the most penny pitching owners in baseball for years. And that's really not fair. They weren't the most they were. They were among the highest. Right. But just. The change from the way that the Wilpons ran things to the way that Cohen runs things is staggering. It's like whiplash. It really is. It really is. Like this is it's. It's unreal when you are like, I I know, I th- I think we made a, a lot of us made these jokes like last off season or like when the, when the Lindor signing happened or whatever, but like, or like when the Mets were good last year and we're going to keep making these jokes. But like, I mean it when I say that, like, I don't know how to act 
because like this is not <laughs> like I'm serious. Like I don't like I have to find a new like personality now. Like Mets fans are so used to being these like tortured creatures. And that's like such a big part of who we are. And it's a big part of our psyche that we have to like remember how to act now. And I'm like, I'm still learning you guys. <laughs> I always thought that was such a big part of being a Mets fan when like the endearing aspects of us, but I'm not going to lie. I, I am enjoying this new side of like being the bullies and being able to like just sign all the players you want to sign. Because I think deep down every fan that roots for a tortured fan base wants to be that. Like we, we put on that persona, but in the end, if we could like Brian was saying own the team, we would just be signing all these great players and put together this roster of players we think are fun and also great. So it it's just, it's a lot of fun rooting for that kind of thing now and actually having it materialize in front of us as opposed to just dreaming about it. Like what's all the pain for, if not for this outcome in the end, right? right? Like otherwise it's just like pain for no reason, which has just been the Mets for my entire lifetime until now. Yeah. I said that I, I said that on Twitter, but like we really do deserve this, like not to sound self, you know, grandizing anyway, but like Met fans, like I, other fan bases, there are a lot of fan bases that have suffered a a lot like the Mets have but like we've suffered for a long time most of us have never seen a championship in our lifetimes and even if it doesn't materialize in a championship this year it they're setting themselves up for success for many years and hopefully a championship down the line and that's all you can really ask for ownership and it's also something that we've really earned after sticking through some of these really just miserable times my one question is like obviously for the next like the the real goal for the Mets right now is to win a championship in the near term like ideally like multiple of them in the next five years right but like when this CBA that we're currently under this new CBA comes up again what do you think you guys think is going to be the consequence of this I think that there is going to be a retaliation on the part of Rob Manfred and the other owners I don't know if that's going to come in the form of them trying really hard to get a salary cap because it's clear that they made a whole tax just for Steve Cohen and that did not work. It's clear that he does not give a shit about the tax. And I think the other owners are going to be pissed off about this in some form, or at least some of the owners are going to be pissed off about this, if not a lot of them. So like, what do we think is going to be like the long-term repercussions of like, is, is Steve Cohen going to actually change the rules of how this all works? Okay, so here's I, I meant to mention this before, and I'm glad you brought this up, Allison. Our friends over at True Blue LA were potting last week, and they said that this move, that these, that the, the moves, the moves the Mets are making right now, feel a lot like the moves that the Dodgers made their first year under new ownership, right? Where a, right. after the shackles were removed, this is what happens. And I feel like the good news for the Mets is that it really doesn't matter what the penalty is because by the time the new the next CBA happens they won't be spending like this anymore. This is a this is uh they are spending this way because of the mismanagement of the team the last 25 years. Once you establish a better player development pipeline, once you develop uh more competent analytics departments, all of those things I don't know if you ever need to spend this way again. And so whatever the whatever the consequence is, it won't be it won't be hitting the team the same way as it would now because the team won't be in the same place in terms of how they're spending their money than they are right now. So I actually think it kind of doesn't matter. I know that's not that's not a good radio answer, 
But I really do believe that by the time the CBA is up, how many years is the CBA? It's five. I think it was five years. I think it is it four years from now or five years from now. Yeah, I think last year was the first year, so this might be the four more years after this. Yeah, four more years. I would think in season. four years the Mets payroll is going to look very different. Yeah, I, I don't mean, think they're going to need to do the Verlander signing. Well, in five years. Yeah, but they they do have like so they have they have like we talk about young cores or whatever. The Mets have a good a, a very good core right now in Correa, Lindor, and if they decide like I would like them to extend Pete Alonso and and maybe Jeff McNeil as well. Um Alonzo McNeil they have and Nimmo now they have that like core of guys but like none of them are pitchers so they I think that they if they want to keep contending past when Verlander and Scherzer are not on the team anymore they are going to have to sign some big free agent pitchers because they don't really have any uh help coming from the perspective of uh of the upper minors but I mean, obviously, Shohei Otani, we keep talking about him. That could be a sol- partial solution to that problem. But right. Again, that, that would require a lot of spending, which the Mets have no problem doing. But that would be another contract that would be on the books five years from now. Um, But, like, I, yeah, it's just, like, the Dodgers, I mean, talking about what True Blue LA was saying, the Dodgers are currently not dodgering as hard. Like, right. like you said, they are they are still running a very high payroll, one of the highest payrolls in baseball, but they are trying to stay under that Steve Cohen tax, basically the 298 or whatever it is, million um, number. Um, so the Mets could be doing something like that where they still run like a very high payroll, but they try to stay under that like yes. highest tax number. Um, but if there's something more drastic, like a cap then that is going to end up like requiring the Mets. I mean, this this happens in other sports, right? Like in hockey, in in uh, football, like the Mets are going to have to like trade off guys to like get under the cap. And I wonder if like that is a potential like future for the Mets. That's but really interesting. If they win two World Series, I, I don't care. They can like tear it down five years from now, whatever, and trade a lot of guys to stay under the cap. But if there ends, I don't think there's going to end up being a cap. The the union really, really, really doesn't want a cap. But I don't know. Like, they're going to do something about Steve Cohen, I think, because I think that, like, he's going to cause some sort of, like, permanent alteration because the Steve Cohen tax didn't work. So they're going to try something, like, more severe but, or drastic. So, so here is my question about that. And part of this is growing up in a household that was uh, not a Yankee household. Is what Cohen's doing right now all that different than what Steinbrenner was doing with the Yankees? It, it wasn't. I think the numbers are so I like I because like the biggest contract back then was A Rod, which in today's time frame looks like absolutely nothing. But I think just the the amount of years, the amount of money makes it look more drastic. But it really isn't that much different. It's not also that much, not that much different from what the Dodgers were doing at, to both your point in the early days of the new ownership. So I I think. I, I don't know if it's just the timing or I don't know if it's because there's such a downtrodden organization that people are really taking notice to it. But I don't I don't I hope that the Steve Cohen tax is kind of the end of it and that there aren't further repercussions down the line, because I think then that just becomes it becomes a vendetta that doesn't really benefit the game. I think there's a lot of owners this this offseason that have been spending not to the level the Mets have, but 
also throwing around similar contracts. And I think for the benefit of the game, it would be great if more ownership was like that. And if you get at least enough, they're starting to spend it that way. It might kind of dilute what the, what the Mets are doing and make it more normalized around the sport and at least would lessen the need for retaliation down the road in the future CBA talks. I hope that's the outcome. Certainly. I hope that's the outcome. I hope that the outcome for this is that it lifts that, you know, it lifts the entire boat. Right. Right. But, I just I think that what makes this somewhat unprecedented is not necessarily the contracts that the Mets are signing. Um, I think you guys are right. I think it's very similar to what the Steinbrenner Yankees did to what the Dodgers did in their first couple of off seasons um, in under their new ownership. Um, but I think what is is different is like the if you if you look at the payroll number now, when you add in the amount of penalty that Steve Cohen is now paying and like the percentage difference between that and the second highest payroll in baseball is vaster than it has ever been in the history of the game. So if you think about things in p- terms of proportions, because I think it, you're, you guys are right. It's wrong to think about this in terms of like the payroll as a flat number, right? Because like with inflation, with everything, like that's going to keep going up. Um, but it is still higher proportionally than the second highest payroll than I think any other team has ever done because of and the that's penalties. Fair. Yeah, that that is a fair point to bring up. Um, I just I really can't bring myself to care about the penalties because to me, like I, you know, I, almost everything that I do over the last 10 years has been framed in the as a parent. Right. And I feel like what you do is you set rules for your children and then you and when they break the rules, there's a punishment that's agreed upon. The punishment that's agreed upon for breaking the Cohen tax is the tax. Yeah. I mean, I don't care about the tax. Steve Cohen doesn't care about the tax, but I think the other owners thought that it would do something to rein him in and it hasn't at all. Which is yeah. good. But I, I'm just again, I'm not sure that there's going to be any like repercussions for this. But I just think I wouldn't be surprised if something came up in the next CBA that's more drastic than this. I wouldn't be surprised either. I just think that the way that everything changes, it's so hard to think about what's going to happen a month from now, let alone four years from now. And I really do think that. To me, the difference between the Cohen era and the Steinbrenner era is I remember nobody saying Steinbrenner was a good owner for spending money. Everybody that wasn't a Yankee fan was pissed off at Steinbrenner for spending the way he did. And most of baseball now seems to be thinking, you know what? More owners should be like Steve Cohen. To me, that's the big difference. It is the change in the way the public perceives ownership in 2022 versus 2002. That's a good point. I, I, when I, and it might just be again, cause I, I grew up a Mets fan who hated the Yankees, but I, I would, I hated the Yankees. I hated the way they spent. I always like, that's not the right way to win. You yep. want to win with the homegrown core, like which the Yankees did in, in the early years, but you know, you spending isn't the way to do it. That's the Yankee way. That's the Mets way, but like the Mets never won. And now t- fast forward 15 years, we're like, no, this is actually, the way it should be done that you should have an ownership group that is committed to winning and, you know, and will spare no expense to put together the best product on the field, not just for their own bottom line, but for the fans, you know, this is 
And the end of the day, it's entertainment. We're watching this to be entertained, to enjoy ourselves, not to have a miserable experience. And Steve Cohen, as a fan himself, understands that and is doing, as everyone in the chat said before, doing exactly what we would all do as fans. And that is signing everyone that would make the team as good as possible. Yeah, I, I, man, there's just so much to think about with this. And the craziest thing is, I don't think the Mets are done. I think they're going to continue to add to the margins of this team. And that is the craziest thought I've had so far about it all of crazy. this. Once you, once you got to this number, just who cares? Just go yeah, right. Yeah. Really? And like, I mean, and that, that article in the New York Post that the interview that Steve Cohen did was like, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to unironically Uncle Stevie here. It was the most badass thing I've ever seen. He was just like, oh, I, I mean, this is the price it, it, it costs to run out a good team. Then, yeah, I'm going to do it. I don't care. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, he doesn't give a fuck at all. It's amazing. And he, and he even said stuff like, I made a promise to the fans, and this is what it costs. And I was like, finally. Like, that's all you can ask for out of an owner of your baseball. We have the platonic ideal of what an owner should be. Yes. We must regrettably Uncle Stevie post. Yeah. Lord forgive me for I am uh, Uncle Stevie posting. The, the Uncle Stevie posting will continue until morale improves. <laughs> until the Mets win a World Series. <laughs> until the Mets win a World Series, yeah. I, I will only allow it until the Mets win a World Series. I I I unironically get mad at um Uncle Stevie stuff because it's just it's just bad. It's just bad to be to to be to be so happy about a billionaire being a billionaire, but he's fucking our billionaire. And so it, but isn't I, this like the most benevolent thing a billionaire can yes, do? Yes, it is. It is. It is like treat us, treat a sports team that brings millions of people joy like a toy. Basically, isn't that like what the point like if there is any point to billionaires existing, which there really isn't. But if there were to be any point, it would be this. Yes. The one good billionaire. The revolution will spare one billionaire. Yeah. And, and we should also mention he's the one good billionaire for baseball reasons. I will not be diving into other oh, I mean, business yeah. practices. Again, um, like people, I mean, people have talked about like, and again, like to be clear, we, I mean, we at Amazing Avenue on our podcast, a pot of their own. We talked about all this when Steve Cohen bought the Mets. So let's not yes. pretend that this is suddenly coming up now. Uh, but for other fan bases who are mad about how much Steve Cohen is spending and are trying to cope about it, are suddenly mad about his past and his shady dealings. And, you know, nobody gets to be this rich entirely ethically. Um, and, you know, is Steve Cohen a good human being? Like, eh, probably not. But like... One of the people who is making these posts is a is a Phillies fan, and their owner's a tobacco baron. So, yep. like, <laughs> I, 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 like the Cubs are owned by the Ricketts family. Like, I just encourage you to look around at all the owners and point me to the ethical one. Right. Show me the good billionaire. Show me the good billionaire. Show me the one who is rich, running their baseball team correctly by spending money. By the way. And they earned all their money in entirely moral and ethic and ethically sound ways. It's just they, like such a person just simply does not exist. Yeah, absolutely. Yay, capitalism. Yay, capitalism.
Um, so we said this last time, but this really might be the last emergency podcast of the offseason because I think Ooh. anything that happens now is going to be small potatoes. I am saying this so he does something big again. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see if this is really the last uh, one for the offseason. Uh, folks, where can folks find you on, on Twitter for now while Twitter still exists? I am at Petit PhD. Because there's a bad billionaire owning Twitter. That's why. Yeah, there is a bad billionaire owning Twitter. Um, Yeah, actually, my dad and I were talking about this this morning. Like, what if like like this is the only equivalent of this is if like Elon Musk had bought a baseball team instead of Twitter or like if like Jeff Bezos bought a baseball team. Like there's really no like precedent for how rich this dude is anyway um the bad billionaire owns twitter and while the website is still afloat you can find me there at petite phd and you can find our podcast there at a pot of their own and you can find me at vastri Melitis. uh good luck spelling that but <laughs> yeah. uh you can find me on twitter at brian is an app we are all at amazingavenue.com where i'm sure we're gonna have lots of words on this uh on this signing over the next few days and um Happy holidays, everybody. Uh, You know, uh, this is the time of year when families are gathering. And if you have to gather with Yankee fans, toast to this contract, baby. (laughs) Just say, oops, sorry. Uh, Thank you all for listening. Happy holidays to all. And until next time, more than ever, let's fucking go Mets. (laughs) 